Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, Cheryl Goldstein. Over to you, Cheryl. Hi there. Today is July 7th. I'm Cheryl Goldstein, EVP Member Engagement and Development, and welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. Our topic for today's show is Next Generation LGBTQ, a discussion on trends, insights, and how to reach this dynamic audience with two very special guests. We have Robin Streisand Lapino, who's founder and president of The Mix, which is a marketing agency focused on diverse audiences. She's also the founder and CEO of Titanium Worldwide, which is a global network of minority-owned businesses. Joining is Rob, founder and CEO of The Fluid Project, which is a New York City brick and mortar store with an international focus on gender neutral clothing and an overriding commitment to serve marginalized young people. Let's bring this dynamic duo on the screen. Robin and Rob, please join me. Hello there. Hey, Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Robin. Good to see you guys. Hi, I'm Rob. still looking forward to this conversation. So Robin and Rob, you guys have been freaking fracking it all over the place, talking about diversity and inclusion and the fluid project. Why don't we start, Robin, there's so much to talk about, but let's start with, first you started the mix, what, like 20 something years ago, right? With a focus and a passion on diversity, specifically the LGBTQT uh, marketplace, really when it was not, um, really in fashion you know most marketers weren't even thinking about this audience but you were there early what drew you to focus on this audience and start the mix 20 something years ago yeah so first of all thank you so much for having me us we're really excited to be here speaking with the members of the iab so uh, i started my agency the mix really out of uh noticing a gap in the marketplace given where I came from. So I worked for one of those large Fortune 500 brands originally. And um, of my responsibilities was always hiring agencies. And there was always like the A team that would come in and pitch and then the C team that would run the business. And, you know, that really didn't work. And so um, there was a moment in time where I kind of came to a crossroads and I thought to myself, given all that I've learned, it could be a, a perfect time to start my own thing, not really knowing what that meant, what it would take, how to do it. But I've always been the girl that, you know, when there was an opening there, the curiosity would have me just kind of permeate through and want to see more. And so... Um, I started the mix here in my apartment in New York City, me, myself, and I, and there, you know, there's not a silver lining. There's not a playbook about how to do this, but it's always grounded in relationships and wanting to do the right thing for your colleagues and your clients. And very quickly out of the gate, I saw that there was an opportunity in an underserved market around diverse audiences. And that really covers all diverse audiences. And this goes back almost 25 years now. So at a time when women, African-American, Asian, Hispanic, and LGBT really weren't on anybody's radar. 
And so I thought, God, this could be an amazing opportunity to kind of bring forward the mix, right? It's all in the mix. It's the right mix to create a company that was really grounded from the onset around serving these diverse audiences. And quite frankly, as, as sad of a time as we are in right now, it couldn't be a, a better time for the mix. So I, um, I've done, I've made a lot of mistakes along my pathway, but I'm in the perfect place at the right time today. I feel like the world has finally caught up with you. And then recently, uh, the last <laughs> five years now, you said there's a need for promoting minority owned businesses and you started Titanium, yep. which is a network of global network of minority owned businesses. Tell me a little bit about the thinking behind that um, effort. Yeah. So the um, given how the Fortune 500 works, um, you need to meet a certain level of compliance and risk in order to qualify for those large scale RFPs. And what I saw what was happening to me was that I didn't meet that profile. And although I had the right a relationship, I had the right client list and the right offering because of my size, it became an issue that I didn't qualify. So I was actually either A, getting eliminated in the first round or B, I wasn't being invited in because I was too small. And I would, I was always like, well, what does it matter that I'm too small? I have the goods. All I'm just asking for is an opportunity to pitch. So after losing two or three times because of size, I wasn't going to let the moment kind of get in the way. So I came up with this idea and listen, purely an idea to create my own version of a large scale holding company, if you will. So we did an assessment out there of all the holding companies. We looked at what kind of agencies, how they were structured, what their like process was around how they would work with clients. And I'm like, well, why don't I do something similar to this with independent agencies that are all entrepreneurs, that are business owners, that are looking to grow their business that could come together as one brand under one umbrella. And we were looking for what this common denominator could be. And we realized as we started to kind of put the business plan in place is that the thing that really bound all of us is that we were all minority owned and operated. So diversity became our business strategy. And right. now here we are uh, six years into it. And um, we that's amazing. So again, ahead of the curve, now everyone's looking for minority owned businesses and here you have a global network ready to go. Um, Rob, let's- Plug and play. Yep. Plug and play. Rob, so you have uh, the Fluid, P-H-L-U-I-D project. Can you talk a little bit about what the Fluid project is and what uh, compelled you to start it? Sure. Um... Well, thanks for having me. It's great being here uh, with you, Cheryl and Robin. So I, you know, the Fluid Project is an interesting uh, uh, concept. So it started off as I'm a, I'm a retail executive. I spent over 30 years in retail as a senior executive at Macy's, Victoria's Secret, Levi's and Nike. And uh, I had this moment of 
I don't know, like, just like, I thought I wanted to do something special with my life. I wanted to spend some time in a bit more of an altruistic type, you know, way of thinking, how do I wake up every day and feel great about what I'm doing? And I used to have two separate lives. There was my daytime job, which was making money and my nighttime job, which was social justice, you know, raising money for politicians or, or nonprofits, specifically around LGBTQ youth. And I, and I thought um, maybe I could somehow merge my life. And I didn't know what it looked like. So I went on a journey around the world and, and I traveled to Central America and South America and India, Nepal, Tibet, even to um, the tribe that my mom's grandmother was uh, born on the Ojibwe reservation. And on this journey, um, I, I discovered the fluid project. It came to me and uh, I wrote down in my journal, April 17, 2017, consider opening a gender-free non-binary shopping environment. I wrote fluid in quotation marks. And I said, that's what I'm gonna do. And I opened 10 months later. And what started off as, as a retail store, and you mentioned the retail store, which, which is now is no longer open, um, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but had an incredible uh, run of two years. But it was, it was almost uh, an experiment, you know, I'd like to think of it because first thing I did was build the company on the foundation of values and, and the idea that um, clothing, fashion, apparel does not have to be gendered. And to be inclusive of a community, specifically non-binary transgender community, to start to build a space that was for them, uh, but also built on values and 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 uh, the concept of the mission statement is to challenge boundaries with humanity. So we challenge everything. We, they could say, well, why is it this way? You know, why is you know things that we take as constructs that have been given to us is how do you undo these constructs? You know. Race is a construct, gender is a construct. These are all constructs. And how do you start to break them apart? So this was in my mind, like a bit of an experiment and how do you start to do this? And, and so we created a, this space, which was two thirds retail and one third non-transactional. And in that non-transactional space, uh, we had 250 events in two years. And in that time, I was able to day by day, build a relationship with the, with the community. And, and in the community, I mean, young queer folks, uh, specifically of color. And I started to, you know, lots of them looked at me and thought maybe a bit suspiciously, what's this uh, man, cis, cis, white cisgender guy walking into this space and what right does he have? And I really became a student for two years. And in that time, I learned that um, we all, you know, are somewhere in the spectrum uh, between the binaries. And, you know, we think about, you know, if gender is a binary that between male and female, that there is a space between, you know, and that that. You know, there's a space between being straight and, and, and queer, gay, and there's a space between black and white. And, you know, when you break up with that construct, you start to play and explore that space between. That's how the name is the Fluid Project. Fluid is your ability to float easily between both spaces, and pH represents balance. And the idea that balance of, you know, male and female or, you know, whatever the balance is in your life, you start to become um, a more honest, um, authentic person and project because it's a work in progress. You know, it's something that we're working together. So started off as a retail space. Um, we have evolved, you know, we are about community, we're about activism and we're about education. And about a year ago, I launched the Fluid Job Portal, which is, uh, um, I started to see a need of a lot of young people coming to us and saying, you know, hey Rob, can we work at Fluid? And I would probably get dozens of emails with resumes a, a week and uh, started to create like this job portal for folks to go into the workspace and 
as I'm speaking to Fortune 500 companies and about the future of gender, I started to realize that companies aren't ready for this uh, group of young people, the gender expansive community. So I created and launched Get Fluid, which is gender expansive training and helping companies get ready for trans and non-binary folks uh, to enter the workforce. So Fluid is really interesting. It's still thriving online. Uh, we still are very much about community and activism and representation of the full queer community. You know, we celebrate the intersectionality of being trans and black or being um, differently abled or all of the different identities that come along with us and celebrating the parts that and the people that most of society does not celebrate. And we, we, said, we see beauty in everyone and we celebrate that. And we've gone into education and we're in wholesale now, we're shipping Macy's and Target and few of the retailers I can't mention yet, but um, we continue to move into the space of product, of having a voice for a community and representation and education. And, and it just keeps, it just keeps growing more and more. And um, I just want to give a shout out to Robin Streisand, who, who met me before the store was even open when it was empty and walked in and got it. Before there was even a piece of product on the floor, she we we connected, and she has been an incredible ally and supporter from the from beginning of not even day one from the beginning. So I just wanted to and do a few shout out to her. Thank her for her. You guys have been joined in ever since. So yes. a couple things. So it sounds to me like when you think about Gen Z, and we're doing a whole big program on on Gen Z on the twenty third that it, the fluid movement is goes beyond just identifying as gay, straight, queer, and sexuality. It feels to me like it's really at the core of how Gen Zs see themselves and see the world. Like, I don't want to define myself in many ways. They, they, you know, they're coming into the work workforce now, not interested in owning a car, not interested in owning things. They want to be able to come and go and have this fluid lifestyle. Um, do you see that? Is, is it more of a generational thing, this whole idea of a fluid movement? And what does that mean to the LGBT it, space? I think it is. I, you know, it's interesting is I love to talk about this because I break, um, you know, being queer into, four, well, you start off with four categories and it, it, it's even queer and not queer because queer is an umbrella term now used by Gen Z is the LGBTQIA plus uh, community. So. Um, by the way, 52% of Gen Zers identify on the spectrum of queerness. So it is over half of this generation. Um, what, what I find fascinating about this generation is uh, we have boxes being this or that as we fill out forms. And Gen Z is this and that. They reject our binary constructs that we have. Like, you only get two choices. They're like, no, 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 no. I'm like much more complex than that. And we all are but they're the ones that are challenging us. And uh, you see that with gender neutral pronouns. So you have your sex assigned to birth, your gender identity, then your sexual orientation and your gender expression. All can be interchangeable or separate, but neither one of them has, you know, your identity has nothing to do with, uh, I would say there's who you go to bed with, which is your sexual orientation and who you go to bed as, as your gender identity. And there's a lot of work to do in corporations part to be inclusive, not just for you know, young adults coming into the workforce, but also engaging with consumers. You know, as we all know, Generation Z is 25% of the population and 40% of the spending power in this nation. So it's important to understand that. Uh, I call them Gen 
Gen Me and Gen We. Gen Me because they are their own brand. If you look at their social media, they have a brand identity. But Gen We because they care about their peers, they care about the world, they care about the planet, they care about all of us. So whether or not I identify as non-binary or not, if I go into a job application, fill a job application, and it has a third gender, I go, ah, this company's you know with it, you know. And so we try to help companies work on pronouns, work on inclusion, work on restroom accessibility, work on dress code policies, work on um, chosen names versus legal names. It's amazing how many people I pay uh, through ADP and I always call them like, who is this person? And they're like, oh, it's this is so-and-so because they have to use their legal name, not their chosen name. And many of the folks that I have, my community have a chosen name versus a legal name. So it's, so it's lots of different things to work through. Um, but my, I always feel like I'm Paul Revere like, I'm like, Gen Z's coming, Gen Z's coming, ringing the bell and telling folks that um, it's, time, it's time to wake up because they're they're here. Like they're 12 to, you know, and like young millennials are woken as well. So they're also very, um, they're not falling, falling for bullshit. You know, they're, they, they want transparency, they want accountability. And they're looking at companies who are pink washing, green washing, whatever you want to call it. And they're starting to do the research and call companies out. So. They're looking for authentic companies, and those are the companies that will be successful in the next decades to come. So, so Robin, you work with some of the biggest brands on these very issues in terms of connecting with audiences. How has that changed? If it's now gone from I'm identifying as gay, lesbian, to now I'm fluid, and it's a whole different mindset, how are you working with clients on the right kind of messaging and a way to authentically connect with this audience? Well, I wouldn't say it's a no-brainer. Um, some brand, you know, all brands and some places and spaces. But what I've seen now in the past, let's say six or eight weeks, there's definitely like a stick in the ground to do something. And um, what I'm seeing is the dialogue is actually happening, whereas. Mm-hmm. In the past, it it might have looked like, oh, here's me just trying to sell in an audience for whatever reason, instead of looking at it like the insights tell the story and the fact that there's some fear or concern that you don't even want to kind of put a toe in the water doesn't really make good business sense. And like Rob was saying, this audience truly they, they sniff it out. They know ahead of time. They do their homework. So we're being as mindful as we can. We're trying to take baby people. We're trying to provide data and uh, the tools that are needed so that they can educate not only themselves, but their leadership and their management. I think there's a definite move around looking inward at a company right now, like looking at their board and their, you know, executive leadership team and looking and seeing that they're straight white men only. And with the Me Too movement, like, you know, having women kind of forge our way into boardrooms, now the LGBTQIA are now, we are on the move, right? And the trans audience is right behind us. So, What I'm seeing is, you know, there's a a binding together, there's an aligning, there's 
um, uh, seeing each other from across the room out of what we're committed to and what we stand for. And um, this isn't the kind of thing that's going away in two months. Like everybody thinks like this Black Lives Matter thing is gonna like disappear. Well, I'm telling you like a fact, like this is here to stay and this is gonna scale and it's gonna give and ignite all other communities to demand a seat at the table, whether it's from a place of recruitment and retainment, or it's about how a brand markets to them. And there's going to be a real thought process and a strategy that goes behind it. And this is here to stay. Yeah, I agree. We're Robin, seeing you're that. so right. Go ahead, Cheryl. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Good. What, do you, what are you going to say? No. I was going to say you're so right like this um this moment you know ignited by black lives matter going right into pride you know and coming out of it that there's this momentum happening of you know black lives matter is is something the queer movement is something you know this is these yeah. are these are not like underlying groups that mm -hmm. can be ignored anymore you know or pushed aside or or guys like oh we're gonna have a black executive or a queer you know this is time to start to look at true inclusion and what does that look like and and that takes an mm -hmm. effort and it takes and it takes a lot of work and and now people that you can't just write a check to black lives matter i think you're good you know it, it really yeah. the work the work has started but now it's got to get serious and people have to mm -hmm. you know i like to say that move from allyship which is like hey we support you you know like you know we're here for you to advocacy where we want to walk in and help change the laws and, and change policies and from advocacy, you know, but there's no repercussions of advocacy. When you become an activist and you start to go to, to create space and an affirming space for folks who are underrepresented and do something where you're actually putting yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable, whether you're speaking up in front of groups of people, speaking up for people at work and defending them, you know, we have to go from allyship to activism to make change happen right now. And it's our ability, it's our time, it's our watch. We're in the position right now to make the change. So and I would say, Cheryl, that um, you know, there are lots of um, companies emerging, um, consortiums of different companies coming together, trying to kind of put a label on who they are and, you know, be like, oh agency that focuses on diverse inclusion right you know this isn't like an opportunity to like get in the game this is like taking marketing expertise and knowledge and being able to bring thought leadership and create a safe space for people who don't know where to begin to like be that go-to place where they know that there's a proven track record, there's results that go along with it, and there are people that you can count on and trust because we've been like this the entire ride. And, you know, we are here to stay as well. So you're saying it's, you know, a lot of agencies are hopping on the bandwagon. Like this is a hot topic now, and they're pretending <laughs> to have some expertise in this when there are companies like yourself that have been committed and passionate about this for decades that really have a deep connection and understanding of this audience. And so brands do your homework, right? Like check the credentials of the companies you're, you're choosing to partner with. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned June Pride, 
was also like the Black Lives Matter explosion was happening at the same time. Do you feel that the June Pride Month, plus we were all, you know, on a Zoom screen somewhere, um, do you think it got overshadowed by the Black Lives Matter movement, or do you think maybe it got helped by it? Because maybe people are just more woke now to all types of diversity. Do you think it had an impact one way or another? Either one of you? Robin, can I, I, can, I can jump in if you don't mind, Robin, real quick. No, please, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually thought at first I was hugely disappointed. Um, it is essentially like our Christmas and Hanukkah fluid. You know, it's like it's our, it's our biggest month of the year for sales. And it's like, and, and then what happened was we realized the parades were going to appear and we realized the celebration was disappearing and Black Lives Matter came. And then all of a sudden we started talking about trans women of color. We started talking about, you know, queer black people. We started talking about folks in, in the history like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera who were eradicated from the history of, of, of the early activists and the gay liberation movement. And, and, the, and when you think about it, you know, we have been celebrating and so, so, so happy, but there have been huge groups of people that have been left behind and largely brown and black people. And so for me, the narrative shifted away from the gay white men and, and women, uh, lesbians and, and gay men um, who have in large part achieved success and, and a position in society that we now shifted to transgender, gender nonconforming, uh, other underrepresented marginalized communities. And so I thought it was a great opportunity to shift the focus away from rainbows and sparkles that shifted to yeah, that's so interesting, Robin. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that it brought us closer together. Um, like we, we came, we bound, we, we came together, we marched, we celebrated. I know I was down at Stonewall on Pride and all I could say is there was like these 20,000 people protests just like standing up around Black Lives Matter. And everybody was just kind of jumping in because everybody was about celebrating who they are, not what they're not, but who they are and coming together like a unified front. It was actually, it was so profound. It's almost like uh, while pride is typically always about celebration and party and all that, I think this humbling moment had us all take a pause and realize that our work is not done. It's just not about LGBT. It's about inclusivity and humanity for all. And we're now looking at things through a different lens. Yeah. I and I, and I, would, I would take on, take on to that, Cheryl, if I may, just, you know, I think about how much money is spent on parades, you know, across this country and about how much corporations take their, money for lgbtq marketing and they put it into a parade and that's how they check their box and i would challenge any company to think about the way they're spending that money to either really do authentic campaigns with you know using queer uh run uh agencies like robins or to to take that money to invest it in training and education into your company about how to be inclusive especially mm -hmm. with the emerging transgender non-binary mm -hmm. space or take that money into invest it into nonprofits 
to help lift like struggling uh, communities, there's such better ways to spend money than to do it marching down a parade. And um, not that, you know, but also I think we're kind of tired of these big corporate parades. We want to, we want to see the authentic part of who we are, which was a march, which is a resistance, which is igniting the passion and, and pinning the inclusion mm -hmm. of people. So I'd say mm -hmm. I just make a case to anybody who spends a lot of money on marketing uh, through a parade to consider redirecting some of your money into different avenues. Right. And, and one month a year does not make a commitment. Oh. You know, these plans are set in for June and then, okay, I did my part. Um, Robin, any thoughts on we that? We didn't disappear. We didn't, we didn't disappear. <laughs> We're still, we're still around well, July 1st. You know. It's not an initiative. <laughs> yes. So I would say last year uh, on the heels of World Pride, the mix came up with um, a program that was called Pride Beyond the 30 Days. And what we were trying to have brands see is that we're not just gay for these 30 days. And although it was a very important moment in history that we were celebrating, we wanted people to understand that if you looked at uh, the demographics, the psychographics and all of the data out there, we're really your, your, um, your target audience. And it's not just during June or in February for Black History or when or in March for women. And so our whole program was about beyond pride beyond the 30 days. And I would say it had some uptick, but not enough. And we yeah. felt like we had some momentum and we won a lot of new business with this because brands actually saw that they had to do something and instead of just, you know, spending the money on the parade, which they're going to do, and that's mostly an internal function anyway for employee resource groups right. to kind of come together and celebrate, like, that they're proud that their company lets them have the opportunity to be in this parade and that they're seen and visible. But it, it like Rob said, it's way where we are way more than that. And... Mm -hmm we made a difference and it, it's just the beginning. And I, I think right now um, the thing with COVID is that people are looking, people are um, open. They're seeing things in a way that they haven't before. Um, they're reading articles. They're talking to each other. I know everybody's complaining about Zoom this, Zoom that, but we are spending more time with each other, talking to each each other in a way that we normally would not because we're just on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And so over this, you know, four months, it's it's been very enlightening. I really don't think that the Black Lives Matter um, movement would have been so bright and shining like it yeah. is now if it wasn't for COVID. So I believe that there's always a silver lining to everything. It's about karma, it's timing, and it's unfortunate yeah. that it took a pan a global pandemic for people to wake up, but people yeah. are awake. I think so. And we're, we are out of time, but I have to say, I do think that this kind of traction would have happened anyway. It just got accelerated, right? I mean, all, it just moved everything faster than it, like three years worth of work got compressed into a few months. Anyway, you are both fantastic. Robin and Rob, 
outstanding oh, conversation. Thank you. thank you for joining us today and, and keep doing the work that you're doing. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Cheryl. Appreciate it. Uh, so that was Robin and Rob, and on tomorrow's IAB There, we're excited to welcome to the show Quentin Moreau Defarge, Head of Creative Strategy for North America for Gameloft, where we'll be discussing mobile esports and gamification, creative ways to reach unreachables. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Tafika Mohanindan. I'm Cheryl Goldstein, thanks for watching, and be sure to come back tomorrow. If it's two o'clock, you know it's time to IAB there. Thanks so much and have a great day.